Welcome to the Founder Podcast, where we interview founders and entrepreneurs. In our inaugural episode of the Founder Podcast, we interview Michael Gorton, founder of Teladoc. And today we have Michael Gorton, a 14-time serial entrepreneur. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having us. Uh, well, thanks for being here. I'm green from Texas. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Um, so, Michael, I always like to kick off with this question. Uh, what's something that you could share about yourself personally and professionally that people can't easily find out by Googling you? Oh, easily find out. Well, so um, I think probably uh, I'm, I'm a Everything that I do is driven by adventure, my love of adventure. So climbing mountains, studying karate, getting um, advanced college degrees and building companies. That's all about adventure for me. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm not like the average person who wakes up on mon Monday morning and goes, ah, I have to go back to work. You know, I don't think I've gone to work for 30 years. I've just been having so much fun. Look at that. That's, that's really cool defining everything as an adventure from learning to building companies. Yeah. Those are some things that people would be a little apprehensive about. Uh, yet you, you see it in, in a very positive and fun light. That's really interesting. It's a mind. Um, yeah. In terms of your varied experience, uh, what's some notable wisdom that you could share that you learned along the way? I think the most important thing is that um, if you find something that you're passionate about, you have to be persistent. Yeah. And, and um, sometimes persistence can be a, a bad thing. So people around me, I always say the term polite persistence. So you can't, you can't beat everybody up with your persistence. You have to be polite about it. But um, yeah. yeah. So persistence is a big one. Yes, it and, is. you know, over the course of the last year, you know, the world has had varied experiences. What would you say has been something that you've taken away from it so far? Well, there's an old um, saying that um, oftentimes in the greatest um, adversity are the greatest opportunities. And so if you look around and see things in turmoil, that means there are also a lot of things that can get fixed. And um, so in, in the middle of a pandemic and um, all kinds of other things happening around the planet right now, um, there's lots of opportunities for those of us who want to be entrepreneurs and take adventure first and turn it into something positive. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the world has been crazy and I've been really busy. Yeah. Well, on that note, can you tell us uh, what was one of your first ventures and um, kind of the, what went through your mind in, in trying to start it out and make it come to fruition? Well, probably like most good entrepreneurs that can call themselves serial entrepreneurs, my first one fell on its face. I mean, I destroyed my personal net worth. I you know, <laughs> um, made so many mistakes. The second one was a company called Internet Global. And that one, you know, we sort of got in the groove. I, I surrounded myself by people that were super smart, 
um, and we created some new technologies. It was in the very beginning of the internet before anybody even knew what the internet was. And um, just to give you an example, I would call the Rotary Clubs and the Chambers of Commerce and say, I want to come give a talk about this thing called the internet. And I would hold up a, a business card and I would say, this is an email address. This at sign means this, and this dot com means that. And, and by the end of the 90s, everybody will have one. And, and I can tell you that most people who heard the speech said, that guy's a kook. Some people said, wow, what a visionary. But most people went, oh man, we'll never get rid of these fax machines and good old fashioned letters. And so, um, yeah. Internet Global, that was the name of the company. And it, and, um, it was, it, it turned into a pretty, pretty nice success. That's very, uh, that's very interesting. Uh, what, what compelled you to, uh, start calling the rotary clubs and, uh, and all of that? What, did well, you have a, a specific strategy in mind or? Yeah, kind of, kind of, I was passionate about believing the internet could change everything and not just be a tool for emailing somebody, uh, back in Europe or in, uh, South America and getting a response the same day, you know, back in the nineties, that was extraordinary. Um, but but what, what I really thought was the internet could change everything. That, um, that one day we would be streaming our TV over the internet. And we would, uh, people forget now, in the 90s, if you got a long distance call, you ran to the phone and you talked very efficiently for three or four minutes because you knew it was costing four or $5 a minute. And, uh, and, and now you don't think anything about it. I mean, you know, you could be, uh, you could be in Colombia or China and we, and we would have a half a day conversation and not think about it because voice over IP changed everything. And that was one of the technologies that we introduced. And so, um, you know, the, believing those things is part of what we did. And that's what created the passion. Oh, look at that. That's, uh, that's really interesting, uh, that perspective. And, and I do recall it, having long distance calls you had to either really be in, in love and be willing to pay all of that <laughs> long distance charge, or you're, you're going to uh, be working on a deal because the, the costs rack up pretty, pretty steeply and pretty fast. Uh -huh. um, so uh, thanks for sharing that. What would you say has been one of the biggest challenges in your career? What first comes to mind when I ask you that question? It, when you have a new idea, that you think is going to change everything. Yeah. It's, it's usually a new idea. Nobody gets it. So I started this company called Teladoc. And if anybody of your, any of your listeners know the name, it's now a $40 billion NYSE company. But in the yeah. beginning, nobody got it. I would tell my friends and they'd go, what, Why? what? You can do that. Um, I would tell the uh, medical boards in the, in the st 50 states and they'd say, Nope, that's illegal. You're going to prison if you build that. And so, um, you know, getting over that first hurdle of there's a, a saying that we use in the in the entrepreneurial community called a disruptive technology. So disruptive technologies are things that are very that disrupt the way we normally do stuff. And most people just like being in the groove. They don't want to be disrupted. And um, and so if you introduce a disruptive technology, there's going to be a lot of people that are opposed to you and they're going to try and find ways to stop you. And, um, yeah. 
And in the beginning, and, and, and I will tell you that changing the world is almost like a drug. Once you've done it once, you're always looking for ways to do it again and again and again. And, and, um, and so yeah, most of my startups begin with, okay, can this change everything? Can it disrupt a, an industry? Um, but the problem is now you have to raise money to do it. You have to convince people to join you. And, and that's hard when it's a disruptive technology. Oh, certainly. You know, speaking to several entrepreneurs, some of them cite that raising money is one of the most difficult tasks and, and some might, you know, push through and, and make it work with uh, minimal results and others might just say, I'm, I'm going to bootstrap and make this work and prove the concept and attract customers. What was your journey when it came to raising money for some of your ventures? And have you noticed any patterns along the way? Well, I think once you once you built a successful company, it gets a little bit easier, but not always. You know, the uh, Teladoc was a healthcare company, um, a company that I uh, worked with um, some founders to start a few years ago is a space-based company. And most of my um, healthcare investors looked at it and said, mm, I don't invest in that kind of stuff. And so raising little bits of money, but they'll say, but you've made me millions of dollars. So here's a check for 25K. And so um, if you stay, if you can stay in your, the, the normal space over and over again, say healthcare or education, um, then it's probably a little bit easier to raise capital. But if you're changing and trying to disrupt new interest industries like I've been doing, um, raising capital can be, it, it can be the, one of the biggest challenges that you have to face uh, as an entrepreneur. Sure. So what, what would you advise entrepreneurs who are going through their first uh, experience of looking to raise funding? What were some of the takeaways that you potentially uh, found the most beneficial? Um, I, I think that if you're raising money, the first thing you have to do is get out of your drinking the Kool-Aid so entrepreneurs are very passionate about what they do and they believe that what they're doing is going to change everything. And um, if, if, you, if you're going to go out and raise money or, or bring executives in that can help you change everything, you have to get out of your little shell of having drunk the Kool-Aid. Try and put yourself on the outside and look back in and say, okay, if, if I were the investor, not the entrepreneur, what would I need to, uh, to pull my checkbook out? And, um, and, th and that's, that's a hard thing to do because you're really passionate about it. And, and you look around and you say, why doesn't everybody understand this is, this is so simple. W w um, it's going to change everything. It's going to make them rich, but you have to, you have to get out of that mindset and go on, on the other side of the table and look back and say, okay, Let's say Joe is coming to me and he's got this cool idea. What is it that's going to make me say, okay, I think that is a cool idea. And, and the problem is the answer to that question is different for every single investor. Mm. And so you have to know who you're sitting across the table from. You have to, um, and you have to recognize that you don't sit down with somebody, tell them the story and they pull their checkbook out. 
it's a relationship thing. And, and so you have to build a relationship with your investors and, um, and, and then they start getting interested to the point where they'll pull their checkbook out and help fund what you're doing. Yeah, certainly. Thanks for that really good insight on, on knowing who you're speaking to and uh, how to appeal to them by making sure that what you're doing is not just following in love, falling in love with your idea, but being objective about it. Correct. Um, throughout your career, I'm, I'm certain you might have had a number of inflection points and realizations that made you feel you're entering a new era. There's a game change about to happen. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you share some of those inflection points that you've experienced in entrepreneurship? Sure. I think with, um, with Teladoc, uh, the inflection point came when, so in the beginning of Teladoc, I was essentially going to my friends and saying, hey, here's a way that you can talk to a doctor. It's cheap. They'll call you on the phone. Um, and, and then I started getting small companies and then bigger companies. And the inflection point, point came when some of the bigger companies started utilizing it and they started telling people. And, um, and that's when the snowball really started rolling down the hill. Um, I think uh, for, for my internet company, it, this is really interesting because I started my internet company in 1992. Nobody knew what the internet was. Nobody knew what an email address was. And I, like I said, I was giving these talks. In 1996, the Summer Olympics, I remember watching and there was a thing that said, for more information, go to www. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that on television. And I went, yay, we're finally there. And so, you know, all of the, all of the talks and articles that had been written and not by just by me, but by people around the country that were passionate about that. Um, yeah, was the inflection point. And, and, and what ended up happening was um, your, your business starts accelerating in, in kind of an awesome way. And, um, and, then, and then, you know, eight years after you've started a company, people will go, wow, what a cool overnight success. And so we learned the, a new definition of the term overnight success, which really means, okay, I've been working on this for um, uh, eight years and now people are beginning to recognize that overnight. Now that's that's fascinating. You know, one thing that that comes to mind is when when you say that someone is a fourteen-time entrepreneur, uh, some might think were they running all those ventures at once? Were they running two or three at the same time? What has your experience been throughout the way? And was there ever a point in time where you felt you were managing the most projects and the most busy? What kind of uh, takeaways do you have from from that? Could you clarify? I, I mean. I started doing entrepreneurial work in the early 90s. So you can do the math on that. I mean, there have been times when I've only been running one company solo for long periods of time. Um, right now I'm running two, but one of them is kind of a passion project that takes you know 10 or 15 hours a week. And, and most entrepreneurs will tell you that when they're awake, they're on, they're running. And so I typically log you know, between 60 and 75 hours a week. So it's easy for me to, to have a passion project where 
um, I spend 10 to 15 hours a week and at the same time have a corporation that I'm running as a CEO. But, you know, the, the other thing is we become successful partly because of our own efforts. I think, you know, you, you, you have to be persistent. You have to be always um, willing to, to push when everybody else is, is saying this is never going to happen. But, we are, but another very important ingredient is the people around us that help. And, you know, I think uh, I would not have gotten to where I got without good mentors. I grew up a relative in a relatively poor family. Um, you know, macaroni and cheese was a good meal. And, um, and what I realized about five or six years into my entrepreneurial journey was that if I could get people that were way above to help me, they could open doors that I couldn't. And, um, you know, you can work for days to accomplish something. Here's a really good analogy. Um, you know, you open your tool chest and you've got a nail that you got to put in the wall. Well, a socket wrench looks like a pretty good hammer. So you can, you can use it as a hammer, but boy, there's a much better way, a real hammer, right? And a screwdriver, you can get your pocket knife out and turn a, a screw, but a, a Phillips head screwdriver, um, or even a power, um, tipped uh, screwdriver, so much better. And so if you have the right tools, um, you, can, you can do a job much faster. And one of the most important right tools is somebody who you can call that can open doors for you, or you can give your eyes ideas to, and, and they can give you positive feedback. We call those guys mentors. And, um, and so, you know, having great mentors is an essential ingredient in success yeah certainly and with with that in mind curious what or who has has been uh, a mentor who's recently impacted you um well a whole series of them when i was building internet global i got lucky and um, there was a guy named nathan morton who um, was a legend and I, I called him and I couldn't believe that he was willing to take my call. Um, he, he had uh, built the business model for a, um, a store called Target and one called Home Depot. And then he created a, a company called CompUSA, which became the largest computer retailer in the world. And, um, and he was willing to help me. And so uh, unfortunately, Nathan passed away, but um, then there was a guy named Bruce Quinnell who joined my board at Teladoc. And um, he, I would always joke around because he and I became very good friends. But when we were in the boardroom, he was not my friend. He was a fiduciary to the, to the company. And, and you know I'd want to do something a certain way. And he'd be adamantly opposed to it. And I learned over time that you know, your, your best mentors can become your friends. But in the boardroom, they have to be uh, they have to be fiduciary for the company. And Bruce was that way. And uh, so, you know, it's always good to have people around that you can that you can call. And Bruce Quinnell and Nathan Morton were definitely in that category for me. And with, with that in mind, interacting with all these mentors, what has been some of the best advice you've ever received? 
um, it's sort of an amalgamation, you know, I think uh, for people that are building companies, I always say that you need, you need, you, first of all, you need to have a great plan. And, um, and if you have a great plan, surround yourself by people who are smarter than you, take their advice. And then one that you and I've already talked about is persistence. And so if, if you're the one who created the idea, you're the one who's going to be passionate. And every great idea has moments where you get knocked down and kicked in the teeth and you think the world is about to end. And your job is to be the persistence. You have to get everybody back up after they've been knocked down and kicked in the teeth with a smile and say, let's go again. And um, so, you know, that's three P's. It, it's a plan, it's people, and it's persistence. In terms of the passion project you talked about earlier. Um, could you share a little bit about that and uh, yeah. what some of your passions are? With, with the magic of Zoom, click, we're at my passion project. Right? All right. <laughs> and so um, the, uh, the company's name is Back to Space and, it, and it's, just, it's just a lot of fun. You know, I get to work with Apollo astronauts. These are the guys who went to the moon. And, um, and they're, they're, we're getting ready to go, we're getting ready to send humans to the moon again. So in a few years, the first woman will walk on the moon. And, um, and so that's another mentor thing. So think about the guys who went there in the 60s and 70s are now in their 80s and 90s. So, but, and some of them are still very wise men who are passionate about what they're doing. And, and, um, but something has happened in the United States between the 60s and now. And that is in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s, the United States produced more scientists and engineers than any country on the planet. Now we're in an anemic fourth place. And so we've lost the passion. Um, and so what, I, what this project is trying to do is create passion again in the sciences. And, and in order to do that, I think you have to recognize what drives people. And it's, it's excitement, it's interesting things, it's um, adventure. And so what we've done here is this is, um, it's actually a, a boring um, map of the moon. It'll be the map, largest map of anything. It'll be a Guinness Book of World Records by two or three X. Um, but embedded in it is augmented reality and virtual reality and gameplay and, and things that are unbelievably fun in a restaurant, you know, that makes you feel like you're in a starship um, and, and um, a stage that will, will become one of the most sophisticated stages on the planet so that uh, you can have concerts there um, and unbelievable um, uh, video and, um, and sound effects. And so, um, you know, uh, and down along the lake behind it, there'll be cabins that people can stay on. So when we do corporate events there, um, anyway, it's, you know, I could go on and on about that, but it, this is a super fun project. Oh, that, that sounds incredible. And uh, what, what got you interested in, in this particular project? How did, what was the genesis of it? Yeah, so in, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to go to Mars. And nobody was going to Mars when I was young enough to do it. So I did other things for, you know, get my adventure um, kick. 
But a few years ago, um, a lady called Danielle Rusa had this idea. And, um, and I listened to it and I said, okay, I'll help you. And um, if, you, if the name Rusa sounds familiar, it's because her grandfather went to the moon on Apollo 14. And if you remember your Apollo history, Apollo 13 is the one that blew up on the way to the moon, right? So the next one had to be, um, it had to be a success. And so Stuart Rusa was the command module pilot in, in that one. And Al Shepard, so again, remember your um, our space history, Al Shepard was the first Americans in space. He didn't fly between that first flight to space and Apollo 14, where he was the commander of that mission. And so um, it was quite an exciting uh, mission and, and to be able to say, wow, my grandfather went to the moon with Al Shepard. Um, it's pretty extraordinary. But um, so she called me and told me the idea and I went, okay, I'll help you build it. And now we've got this and we've got a TV show we're working on. Um, you know, I'm having too much fun. Uh, it, it seems like it. I definitely want to check it out. Is is the facility open yet or? Is um, it no, this is actually our uh, final stage architectural drawing. We're going to begin construction in, um, in about 60 days. We're in the process of looking for uh, corporate sponsors. Right there, some corporation's name is going to go above the door. And we're trying to figure out who that is right now. Is it going to be AT&T or Boeing or Lockheed or? American Airlines, I don't know, but we're looking for that. <laughs> so if one of your listeners wants to be the sponsor that helps fund this thing, um, we want to talk. Certainly. Uh, we'll definitely spread the word. Uh, what's getting you excited these days? I think you could answer that question by saying, by just showing the picture, but is there anything else that comes to mind? Sure. So, um, you know, um, in the beginning of Teladoc, the boards of medical examiners told us what you're going to build is illegal. You're going to go to prison. And now telemedicine is everywhere. Um, you know, uh, most people know the name Teladoc. And um, so what's happened in the last 12 months has knocked down the barrier for what we call telemedicine and digital health. And, and now that that barrier is down, I think that there's another thing that we can change. Now we all know our healthcare system is broken. The costs are too high, and um, the scary thing about uh, uh, about healthcare these days that nobody really talks about is it's not health care; it's sick care. Um, in other words, you pay your money to Blue Cross or United or Cigna every month, and they do nothing for you until you get sick. So let me say that another way: nobody makes money unless you're sick. So we're inspiring the wrong thing, right? Um, what we should be doing is we should be inspiring how do we keep people healthy? Um, we actually are very close to having the biochemistry and, and technology and delivery systems so that, you know, there's a saying these days that 60 is the new 40 when people talk about age. And, and it, you know, that may be the case, but the reality is we, we do have the ability to have 100 is the new 40. And let me say that another way. I'm a runner. And so what kind of 10K and 5K times was I knocking out when I was 40? I'm saying that in the next 10 years, we should be able to get people to the point where they can run at 100 years old um, 
the same kind of 10K times they were running at 40. And then not taking the week off and staying in bed, uh, but getting up and going to the restaurant and living a normal life. So, you know, we're getting really close to that. And, and the delivery mechanisms are going to be digital health. Uh, and um, so that's the new company that I'm building called Repuro Health. And, uh, you know, we're going to do it again. We're going to change everything. We're going to disrupt the industry. Well, that sounds like something very exciting and uh, one, one kind of future that a lot of people would look forward to living longer, healthier lives mm-hmm. uh, and, and using technology and telemedicine to make that happen. So that's, that's fascinating. I'm looking forward to finding out more about it and, and learning more about it. Uh, what would you say is a habit of yours, whether it's daily or, or just a common habit of yours that helps drive your success and what you would define as operating at your best capacity, at, at your best efficiency, efficacy? Well, you have to recognize that the body is a machine and um, it has to be taken care of accordingly. Um, you know, you, you, you need good mental, you need good physical, you need good food, um, good relationships. And so that uh, in, in order to, you can be passionate about something, but if you have no energy, you're not gonna get to the finish line. And so um, remember that you have to take care of um, the fuels that you consume and um, the exercise and um, you know, having a good, uh, a good balance. Yeah, certainly. And with that in mind, um, what do you recommend to people who want to do what you do? And I I know that you, you mentioned this idea of disruption several times as as we were speaking, what would you say is perhaps a, a path to learning about ways to disrupt and uh, really innovate an area in order to help people? Yeah. And I, in almost every town, there are um, organizations um, of accelerators or entities that help people with ideas turn them into real companies. Um, and I, I'm in North Texas, and we have a group called the Wildcatters. We have a group called Capital Factory. And, uh, and those two groups do a, a really good job of helping people take you know, what did I learn in college? What did I learn in life? And turn it into, here's how I build something that, mm-hmm. that changes everything. And, um, you know, I think we, you and I talked a little bit about um, mentors, but I think a good mentor is, is critical to success. And um, that's another thing that these organizations, these accelerators um, uh, will bring in is, is mentors that are looking for uh new young people to help. I mean, we all recognize that. I, I remember Nathan Morton when I, I was sitting with him over lunch or a drink or something one time. And I said, man, I'm so lucky to have you. And he said, and someday you have to give this back. And so I've taken that seriously. You know, I, I, I try to find young people all the time. Um, and I have a, a really great story. There's a, uh, a, a young man named Michael Walsh who I started mentoring. And now he's the master. Um, he has grown way beyond where 
I have. And so now I call him and say, hey, Michael, how would you do this? And so, you know, it's, it's really cool to see somebody um, who you can help um, up the ladder and then they go higher than you do. And then, and then they get to be your, uh, so, you know, uh, it, it turns out that it does work both ways. Well, that's, that's really a unique experience, having someone surpass you in, in some definition or some extent, and uh, it becomes more like a mutual relationship rather than simply a mentor-mentee relationship, yep. just yep. like friends. Um, out of curiosity, we've talked about technology, we've talked about innovation. What are some business tools, applications, or, or websites that you find yourself often using? What comes to mind when I ask that? Um, well, I, I use LinkedIn probably. That's probably my primary resource for uh, connectivity, finding resources, helping people that, that ping me on LinkedIn. Um, I think it, it's, it's an extraordinary um, piece of technology. I, I never would have guessed a year and a half ago how important zoom has become you know a few minutes ago i snapped my fingers and went from my um, my home office to the lunar landscape and um i think in the beginning zoom was a little bit clodgy remember a year ago um, it was problematic and now it's turned into a, a really extraordinary tool and um and so I, I think um zoom linkedin and then one other that i use called calendly um i think you use it as well um to, to schedule meetings. Um, I, I remember a year ago before I started using this tool, if I wanted to schedule a meeting, I would look at my calendar and spend 10 minutes going, okay, I'm available this time, this time, this time. And then a day later they would respond, well, I'm only available this time. By that time, that scheduled slot had already been taken and, and wow. And now with Calendly, you just, here's my link, go find a time. And when, once they, once they pick one, it's, on your calendar immediately, <laughs> you know, wow. Those three things, I think Zoom and Calendly and LinkedIn, um, they're, they're just part of the daily life now. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Those are, are really the top three. Organizing time, spending the time virtually, and then connecting with the people with whom you want to spend the time with virtually. Yeah, yeah fantastic. It's amazing how those little kinds of things make your life so efficient. I remember in the 90s when cell phones really started getting big, I was driving and I was doing a phone call while I was driving and I thought, wow, now when I'm in the office, I don't have to be on my, on, on my phone. I can just use my drive time for, for phone meetings and, and now I've expanded my eight hour day by you know, two, two more hours. Yeah, so it, it's all these little pieces of technology come in and, and um, it makes us more efficient. Yeah, it gives us back time. And really, that's the most valuable thing. Time and good health mm -hmm. are the most valuable. Um, bit of a curveball question for you. If you had to go back in time, but knowing all you know now, and you couldn't pursue the ventures you already have, but you could pursue anything else, what would you do? Start working on Recuro sooner. You know, the, the, the realizations that I've made this year about what's really broken in our healthcare system, um, I wish I'd had 10 years ago um, because we would be so much farther down the road if, if um, some significant disruption had started happening. Now, it could be that, you know, um, 
changing the past into the future is almost paradoxical to think about. Um, but, but what we're about to start doing, there are people now gone who could probably still be alive if we had a better healthcare system. And, um, and you know, somebody like you, you may have the opportunity to live forever. Um, you know, I, I think that the first person who's going to live to a thousand years old is alive now. And, um, you know, that's, it's one of the things that we should be focused on. That's fascinating. And uh, a good note to, uh, to leave us thinking about, I, I really want to thank you for your time today and, uh, would like to ask you to perhaps share a final takeaway and a good way for people to either keep in touch with you or follow some of your current ventures. Okay, so um, two things. One is um, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, go find me. Just find the there. There's a few Michael Gordons. Just look for Back to Space right here, or or Teladoc, and then you'll know you found me. Um, I love connecting on LinkedIn. Um, the other thing is sort of as a takeaway. I've talked a little bit about persistence. And there's, um, there's a famous uh, quote on persistence by Calvin Coolidge. Hmm. Go look it up. For a long time, I had it hanging on my wall. I, I, I just think, you know, it's, it, it tells you why persistence is, is critical to success. So go look up Calvin Coolidge's persistence quote. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. And we look forward to talking again. It's been fantastic speaking to you. You, you have been the best. I, I, have, I have done two podcasts a week for over a year now. You've been the best. Your questions are extraordinary. So um, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for attending the Founder Podcast and stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you.